Welcome back to the AEC Hive, where we're talking about innovation in architecture, engineering, and construction. I'm Ralph Montague, director at ArcDocs and co-founder of the AEC Hive. I'm joined by my fellow co-founder, John Egan. John, do you want to say hi to everyone? Hi, everyone. This is John Egan, CEO of BIM Launcher and co-founder at AEC Hive. Looking forward to today's discussion. We're really excited today, joined by, by Andy Bootle, who's the head of BIM at Kia Construction. He's also the engagement co-lead at the UK BIM Alliance. Andy, you're very welcome. We look forward to talking to you today. And would you give us a little bit of background of yourself and how you got to the position and the work you're doing at the moment, and we can get started. Yeah, certainly. Yeah, good morning, and thanks for having me on today. Yeah, so, of course, a bit of brief history, not too long, but um, so I started life in industry as an as a engineer, mechanical engineer, um, working for MEP contractors. Did a few years doing that. I always had a hand in an interest in CAD back in those days and sort of took on, took on some tasks and responsibilities for that um, in various sort of aspects and guises. After a number of years, ended up moving across to the consultancy side. So I worked for Atkins for a number of years back in sort of the late 2000s when sort of the BIM scene was starting to hit. So I was sort of dabbling in Revit and, and doing a kind of CAD Revit manager role at Atkins for a number of years on the MEP side. It's really good. And again, a lot of these things are timing, aren't they? And, and, and then I saw an advert come up uh, for, for Keir for a, a regional BIM coordinator, as it was um, in those days, which pricked my interest. And, and I thought, yeah, that's, that sounds like something I want to do. And so so moved to Keir, focused in a BIM role and, and yeah, spent a number of years at the sharp end of supporting projects which is really good to sort of get that grounding and, and understand the various different aspects and challenges as, as you do across project teams, implementing different technologies and processes. And then wound my way in the last number of years, I've been head of BIM for the construction division. So more, not unfortunately not at the sharp end these days, but, but very much internally working with our, our specialists across the business and, and other stakeholders and staff to, to try and you know, standardize what we do across the business, obviously keep, keep progressing and, and improving our, uh, our, our ways of working, our, our template documentation and resources, and, and, and trying to drive drive information management really widespread and, and gain efficiencies and improve how we do things, make people's lives easier. Hopefully, um, is the goal. So, really, really enjoyable. Probably an element of st- strategical focus, probably, but but very much still, I'm, I'm still tactical. Very much about getting things working on the ground as well as the strategic direction. So yeah, so that's my 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 kid key day to day these days and a, a brief history also like Ralph said I always also work for um, in the UK BIM Alliance um, looking after engagement with with Pam and, and working with I mean it's an incredible experience you get to work with all, all aspects of people across industry again to try and try and help industry along and that's given me access to various standards committees and, and the like so yes that's me. So you've done a lot of work you've been at the forefront I suppose with all the work you've been doing at the UK Alliance of change in the industry mm-hmm. uh, as it is. You, I mean, the change has been, I don't know, it seems slow for us anyway. We're like in, in this BIM space for about 12 years. <laughs> if you'd asked me 12 years ago, it would take 12 years for the industry to adopt a digital process, um, something that's you know, promised to make the industry more effective, more productive. Yeah, we thought yeah, that, that, that would be crazy. And yet, yeah, yeah we are 12 years <laughs> later, still seem to be trying to convince the, the industry, that's the way to go. And what's your feeling about the sort of pace of innovation in the construction industry? 
probably similar to you, Ralph. I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a skeptic and a realist, but um, also probably an optimist. But you, yeah, you, you're right, and I don't think any of us. We, we all know the scale of the challenge, I think, but it is amazing, isn't it? When you get you know another five or ten years down the road, and we're still struggling and talking about the same topics. So that there's that side of things, but then you know at the same time you do see like there's, there's been considerable change, I think, and. Uh, the culture shifting. The, the you know the government, for want of a better word, actually quite supportive with all the all the initiatives that are being pushed out. It all helps pull us all and push all in the same direction, I think. And and it does feel like I'll probably say this every t- couple of years as well. But but you know the tight re- this the last couple of years, it does feel like the you know the momentum is building so much that we're we're starting to move a bit more at pace. In that space, data is is a common discussion topic, and digital uh, it seems to be for be at the core of business strategies now a lot more than it was. I think is what, what I feel and see. But do you feel for most people anyway, the majority, it's more like they're being coerced and pushed into a way of working rather than them identifying the sort of business benefits to themselves personally uh, to right. work in a more streamlined way and why do you think that is i mean is it is it because each company just playing a small part in a bigger picture and you know they don't see the overall picture or yeah i thought yeah exactly that and i think you're always going to have that to, to a point no matter what what the change is um you know so some people are, are you know are, are keen to try and explore and, and want to find new ways of working and, and better ways but others will you know you have to literally show them Show them it before they'll, 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 they'll jump, which again, which is understandable, isn't it? Um, so you're always working with that balance, that bleeding edge and, and then trying to get the majority to, to play the part. But yeah, I think, yeah, you're right. There, there's an element of being coerced and, well, we've got to do this because our clients are asking for it, you know, no matter where you are in the supply chain. And we, we absolutely have to have that. But then, and again, you, you probably see it at all levels. If you look internally within a business, you, you've got that same kind of industry scale problem or, or challenge. Um, that you've got, that you've got, you know, some people that generally want to embrace and, and look, look to create efficiencies and actually invest to, to, to get that outcome. But then there's the commercial mindset of, of, you know, that we, we don't invest until we've, it's been proven that, 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 that can deliver a, a return on investment. So it's, it's that tricky balance that we're, that we're all dealing with. Yeah. And I think a lot of that, you know, I feel is a misunderstanding amongst most people that, if you follow BIM and a digital process, it's somehow going to cost you more money and take you more time than not doing that. You know? So, which is a little bit bizarre because the, the whole idea of the ISO 19650 standard and, and BIM is to be more organized and digitalized for the, the purposes of being more efficient and more productive. In other words, it should save you time and should save you money. And, uh, yeah, you know, there's, there's still so many people perpetuating this message out there that, well, we can do BIM if you like, but it's going to cost you more and it's going to take longer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And often those are sort of well-known and well-respected, either consultants or sometimes even the tier one contractors. Mm-hmm. Uh, sort of BIM is an optional extra that's uh, nice to have, but not necessary. Absolutely. I mean, the, the <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, we, we did a a recent survey, a national survey through the UK BIM Alliance, and we're actually about to publish a report next week that, that uh, analyzes the, well, 
presents the findings with with some analysis and and what you've just said is that you know some of the comments back on on some of the questions about you know do you feel BIM's relevant to your role things like that some of the there's still a huge misunderstanding and misconception of of, of the standards and like you say what what the whole intention is and what the the benefits are are, are to be had out of it um yeah it's it's a, a real mixed bag and we we've, we've still got a lot of work to do as industry as individuals as as groups as as initiatives to to really try and get that majority view on things on life i think the other thing is as well that you know this is like many things it's seen as a you know if we if we employ bim on this on this project processes and and the like then it should be a sticky plaster solution and we should suddenly see benefits and what people don't often take into account is that learning and continuous improvement so probably the first two or three projects you know a company or a team is, is implementing BIM they won't see savings they're going to actually have to put in a bit more time and effort and, and once you get good at it obviously that's when you start to see those benefits so it's it's not something you can just switch on and off and, and expect to suddenly see a a return it, need, it need, does need work and effort yeah I've seen that on a lot of companies uh, the sort of uh, attitude that well, we'll hire a BIM guy or BIM girl. <laughs> yeah, so so there's one person that will solve all the problems. Absolutely. Uh, and it's yeah, it's almost like when health and safety came out. Uh, you know, you you hired a health and safety person, and that was meant to solve all the problems. And yeah. and eventually people realised, well, well, that's not actually the solution. You have to to have a health and safety culture amongst every person, Absolutely. every single person that's participating on a project on site has to have a an understanding of the the risks and um, the health and safety issues. So, mm. yeah, I think that's probably where we haven't got to. I think general people still feel BIM is something that the BIM team does or yes. the BIM person. And what's what's quite bizarre is almost seen as completely disconnected from everything else that typically happens on a project in relation to information. So, for instance, and you'll know this as a contractor, you know, RFIs, requests for information, are a core part of, of the way contractors conduct business between their subcontractors and the consultants, and somehow RFIs has got nothing to do with information management, even though it's a request for information. Technical submittals are a key part of the way contractors work in terms of gathering you know, information about the systems, products, materials, etc. that they propose to use and submit those to the consultants for their approval before they implement that work. And yet, somehow, technical submittals have got nothing to do with information, <laughs> even though technical submittals are a submittal of information. Health and safety requires the collection and gathering of health and safety data, risk assessments, information about the products and materials that are used on the project, and, and yet health and safety has got nothing to do with information. <laughs> and like you just we, we can go on, can't we? Quality is <laughs> exactly well, yeah, that. Building controls, you know, building control approvals for fire safety, disability access, etc., is effectively the middle of certain information to demonstrate compliance with regulations to the building control authority, and yet that's got nothing to do with information management. So information management has just become this sort of extra thing you do as a box-ticking exercise when, when in actual fact, it should be sitting across mm. the top of, of all those traditional information production and information sharing. Absolutely. It's, it's a, yeah. I mean, you don't want to say it's a support for it, but uh, nail on the head, you know, everyone has a part to play in information management and always has done. Uh, and there's that recognition now um, that needs to happen that 
okay, so yeah, we, we all interact, produce it or interact in some, some shape or form. And then it's now the standardization of, of how, how that approach works collaboratively across the team to then drive the benefit. And I suppose that's one of the, one of the things I really, I think is really good with nine, ISO 9650 is moving that, the language a little bit, isn't it? So, so BIM is still features in the title and in the document, in, in the, in the documents, but, but it is very much moving to information management to try and get that understanding that, inform, you know, that's, is the asset to rule all assets, isn't it? And it, it informs everything we do. Decisions are made on information. So why on earth wouldn't we as an industry want to be really good at information management? Yeah. And I think as well, you know, and I was going to say, I'm a, I'm a great supporter of the UK BIM Alliance and all of the great work you've been doing. And obviously that's been of tremendous benefit to us in Ireland because uh, we don't have that sort of structure and commitment from our own government or uh, even the industry players. So Ireland has definitely benefited tremendously from the relationship with the UK and, and following what you guys are doing over there. At the same time, I was thinking the day that when you think about all the little players in, in the industries and you, you know, think about small contributors like carpenters, plumbers, mm. you know, right. yeah. <laughs> you know it, whatever, Every, everybody's playing a little part. And I think when you look at all the fantastic guidance and that you guys have produced, it's a mountain of information in itself. Yeah, I don't know how many hundreds of pages and videos. And so it's, it's a stellar piece of work that the Alliance has done. But I think, you know, people are wondering, like, what's relevant to me? How do I find? Good, great point. The, the five or six things that are relevant to me as a whatever, whatever you are. Because uh, I think one of the issues is there's so much information available today through the internet mm. and like there's no shortage of information to say Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, and the, the biggest problem is trying to filter through you know the the rooms of information to find out what's relevant you know to you as a an individual no, nobody has the capacity to process all the information that's available you know so i don't know if that's been a topic of discussion it has, the, it has. The group um, and, so it's yeah. almost like I primed you for that, but I really didn't. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> so no, and it's exactly, and we're, we're, you know, we're, again, so the, the guy, just going back to the guidance then, obviously sits in the UK BIM framework website that is produced by mostly people working in the alliance, but, but a wider community as well. So you, you, you're exactly right. And we've had an acute awareness that, you know, there's, there's big chunky PDF documents now and, and that the initial thing, the, the, the initial intent was to get a consensus across information management practitioners and provide guidance for the, for, you know, predominantly people to perform in that role so they can then get a consistent understanding and then hopefully apply that within their context of their businesses. Um, but you're absolutely right. We've had discussions and the direction ahead is now, okay, we've got the real technical um, guidance. Now we need to come back out of it, back out of the detail and make it more accessible to like, you know, I'm, I'm a, you know, I'm, I'm a small plumber. I'm, I'm turning up to a project. Actually, what the hell's this got to do with me? Uh, exactly that case in point. So maybe um, develop some sort of persona based Really high-level guidance, just touching on the important stuff for uh, for, for for the you know going down the tiers of the supply chain exactly as you said. I mean, I could, there's there's a real positive update coming to the Kevin Framework website in the next release, which I believe is Q3 this year. So rather than having the PDF documents that you have to go and um, download, it's going to be an online searchable resource. So you could still take a PDF should you want to, but actually it's going to be an online filterable searchable. Uh, resource which will 
hopefully just make it more accessible for, for even even information management practitioners, let alone anyone else ahead. But yeah, there's a, there's a real focus ahead. We've got the content now. It's more about then producing potentially some tools, and I'll steer away from I'm using the word templates, but some useful tools um, as, as well as that high level and a more persona based guidance ahead. I think that sounds fantastic. I think it's definitely what the industry needs. I suppose another challenge we have recognised looking at the ISO 19650 standard and the the activities that have to be carried out, um, you know, to, to follow this process, which is meant to deliver uh, all the fantastic benefits. And I think it's fair to say if you don't follow the process, then you're not going to get the benefits. And that's, you know, it's not as if it's going to happen by accident. Uh, so you've got to be deliberate about following the process. But when you look at it, there's so much upfront work that has to be done by the clients, employers or the developers, you know, the appointing parties. That, to us anyway, in practice, is still the biggest problem. We see design teams being appointed without any information requirements, uh, sometimes not even a brief, you know, just yeah. uh, get, get started, get show me what I can get on the site, you know, get a planning application in. And, um, you know, so the, the, the design team appointed, off they go, they yeah, there's no structure. There's no uh, even there's no, even no discussion on how the information is going to be produced and delivered. Yeah, you know, the focus is on the planning, maybe the concept design or the planning application, without any of that upfront work being carried out by the the clients. And often most of the clients are developer type people who actually don't intend to operate the thing at any stage. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they're either going to sell the site on with the benefit of a thing or they're going to you know, sell the site on with the benefit of a, uh, a tender or they're going to rent it out to sell it on, on, on completion of construction. So mm-hmm. you know, even the motivation for those type of clients to to uh, put the structures in place to carefully manage information is quite quite challenging. Yeah. yeah. I, know, I know that's different in government work and you know, because the, the government agencies typically would have a, a long-term vested interest in, in the assets. But I suppose any asset that gets constructed, uh, somebody's going to have a vested interest in it at some yeah. point in time. <laughs> well, that, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, you know, the challenge is, I mean, I think, I think the standard's right, isn't it? It's putting that onus on on the client, on the appointing party to, to really specify what you need, uh, you know, and it's right to do that. In reality, hopefully... That, that, that traction, yeah, that, that does push and pull clients to, to do that more, to, to see the benefit. But yeah, of course, in, in practice, we, we still see quite often uh, a misunderstanding of giving a proper brief and setting information requirements. Um, so there's, a, there's definitely a bit of a responsibility, you know, I see as us as a contractor, you know, we'd, we'd offer that, that consultant, you know, Part, part of the service is to, is to help support, consult where, where required and, and work with clients to, 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 to help them to get to that place where, where there are gaps. And then just picking back on what you just said about the developer client, yeah, that can be definitely an issue. And I, but I think hopefully as we go forward, you know, information carries value, financial value as well. So, you know, for, for selling, selling on an asset, you'd like to think that, that, you know, if you've got really good information about that asset then that carries a value too so even even if you are you know, developing and selling on then then there's, there's a there's a good case to, to actually get that information right to reflect the asset you're selling as part and parcel of of what you're yeah what you're, you're selling on yeah it probably does lean it much easier and it's more ta- more 
you know, more of an attractive offer, isn't it, probably to to clients who who manage portfolios to a point or serial procuring clients. Yeah, well, and even if you're selling a development with the benefit of a planning permission, if the information about that development was in a digital format, that the next team that gets cut along Absolutely. can take that and and start from there rather than going back and starting again. Yeah. Because that's the problem. Everything's issued in a PDF or paper document, so the next team has to literally redo all that work. Yeah. Just yeah. Absolutely. Get, yeah. Exactly. Get, get to the starting point. Yeah. And again, I think um, I think just also like, of course, you can st- you can follow standards by the letter, and that would be the you know the ideal and the best practice. But just you know applying some of the fundamentals proportionally in in certain cases, you know, would be you know that to to, to gain value on on yeah, you don't have to necessarily do it all. Do do the the, the proportional parts that may may drive some value. You know, that's the, yeah, shouldn't shouldn't be seen as a, an all or nothing necessarily. I don't think. We could bring this on to a topic, John, that's of your, of interest to you. But if all this information that's being produced at various stage was in a digital format, then it has to be stored, you know, as digital files somewhere. And this is where the concept of the di- the common data environment uh, set out in the the standard comes into play and I think there's probably a, a mis- misconception that a common data environment is the same thing as a single software solution. Yeah, and I don't, personally I don't think that was the intention and def- when you read the ISO 19650 standard, it doesn't suggest that, that it has to be a single software solution and yeah, and of, of course when you have multiple parties participating together, yeah, it's quite difficult to have a single software solution. It's not impossible, but it's it's difficult because you, you're basically forcing people to use systems that maybe they're not familiar with, etc. So, I mean, the idea, and John and I have spoken about this <laughs> a lot, <laughs> is that, um, yeah, software solutions should be connected just the, as the way you don't force people to use Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge or, or, or Firefox anymore on the Internet. It used to actually be, I remember the days of the Internet where certain pages worked on certain browsers and, you know, you, you just, that was the, the, the scenario. But now, use any browser, any device, um, yeah, everything's connected. So what's your take on this concept of a common data environment being more than just a single software solution? Is it a, is it or should it be a connected platform? Is that, is that to John or me? Sorry. To you. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm sure John will. Well, yeah, I'd I'd (laughs) say, say yeah, so, so absolutely not a single platform. I'd, I'd be amazed. I've never seen a scenario where Every you know, supply and demand chain are all working in one platform for for what a CD is trying to do. Um, I think the the ISIS deliberately clarifies that it, it isn't one solution for all. Um, you know, it talks about distributed CD, which would be supply chain side, and the, the project CD, which would be the client's environment that that, that the leader pointing party may would would interact with with the published information, but. Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it, uh, there's a there's a really big misconception. Again, we we see it a lot um, across some of our teams that oh, the, you know, if there's, there's something in a tender document saying yes, we need you to interact into this platform, please, whether it's uh, EDMS, CDE, or, or or another tool that oh, you know, we have to work in that with our supply chain, and we're going to have to ditch our tools to go and work with the clients. But it's not never is it saying that, and, and always we'd put as a main contractor, we'd put a platform. You know, in front of 
whatever client solution was there to work with our supply chain. And then the information would need to then pass from one, one to the other. Um, which is when we get into John's speciality and, and what he's trying to do. And, and if, of course we need to, you know, we need a common language or standard of being able to do that auto, you know, in an automated fashion without poor old dot controllers having to download and upload hundreds and thousands of times to move stuff in between systems. My question would be, um, how do you think that ISO 19650 um, work, workflows and file naming convention is actually helping us achieve a higher degree of efficiency when sharing information between different stakeholders cross domain and cross vendor? Yeah, um, yeah, good question. I mean, I was, uh, and again, I suppose it depends on your national annex, doesn't it? But, um, yeah, assuming you have a, a, an, a an annex to, to determine the information container naming convention, um, of course, that's one bit of commonality that, that systems can get configured to, to, to accept. So I'm assuming that can, you know, that, that could allow, that could allow that, um, unique string to allow the, the, the passing between the exchange between systems. Um, but I think the challenge also, of course, our, um, UK's national annex, um, also recommends Uniclass as a, as a classification another sort of common commonality that, that could be help systems to interpret when, when things are exchanged. I think the, the, the bit that's missing is the, all of the other metadata that's associated to a, a file in a, in a, in a system. And obviously, of course, there's no, as far as I'm aware, no clear sort of standard of how that metadata is structured. So when those containers pass from system to system, you could potentially lose, lose the, you know, whether it's the, the, the revision history metadata, whether it's approvals, um, you know, lose that effectively that golden thread, isn't it? Of where, where the, where the, the file, the document's been worked across the system, what, what, what it's had done to it, who's looked at it, approved it, where it's passed. So I think that that's the, the next challenge, isn't it? To get that proper automated exchange of information between systems at a file, file level. One thing that we've we've seen in our line of work is different organizations using their own interpretation of the file name convention, use of classification codes, etc. And it's forced us as a system integrator to provide mapping services with our data integration. Um, you know, it's always been an ongoing debate with Ralph and I uh, that this File naming or the file name uh, behaves as a number plate and is yeah. obviously unique um, for for each information container and each um, I suppose part of that file name represents a piece of metadata. Um, obviously, there is metadata that is really difficult to append into that file name, like the created by maybe uh, what what date this file was created at, uh, what what date it was approved at, etc. Um, and that is obviously, well, that is uh, something that we're um, uh, obviously mapping between the systems. Yes, of course. Um, but I don't see how we could put that kind of information in a file name um, unless we came up with some sort of, uh, um, you know, I suppose standard to uh, generate, uh, you know, uh, generate some unique thing that could be appended into the file name and interpreted on the destination system. Mm. Um, but I mean, do you, uh, in your experience, have you found perhaps what, or well, 
Firstly, do you have experience as a contractor trying to integrate your systems with either your supply chain or the design team or the client systems? And secondly, have you come across, uh, I suppose, have you come across perhaps to a point you t- talked about earlier where people are only touching upon BIM and they're kind of taking you know, only small pieces of it into their organization is perhaps pre- presenting a bigger challenge for interoperability because you have two different, you have two people interpreting uh, different information in different ways, implementing it halfway, both ways, and you're like, well, we might as well have not done Done it at uh, all. Not engaged. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. Um, I mean, yeah, so... Yeah, back to the, fir- the first part of the question. We, we've had a number of opportunities, and I'll say opportunities, so we've never done it, but um, there's a couple of opportunities where, you know, we'd, lo- we'd love to work with, let's say we're, we're using platform A as a CD, and client's got platform B, and we do need to pass information, published information into platform B from platform A. We'd love to work with, uh, with, with the vendors and the client to, to, to actually get some form of automated integration. Um, because you know, there's yes, there's a lot of products out there, um, but you know, there's 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 not that many that you know. If you do it once between platform A and B, those those two platforms are going to come up against each other again and again and again and again. Um, so you know, it would hold value, be worth doing once to gain more value of it happening again potentially. So so you know, we've never done it or as, as an automated approach. It's, it's always a, a manual process but absolutely there's opportunities ahead and as soon as we can get something tangible i'll, I'll be jumping on it myself to try and uh, help that along because this yeah that would be a really good thing to get going but isn't that part of the problem just the the approach of the implementation of bim is that the expectation is for the individual stakeholders within the industry to figure this stuff out you know mm-hmm. even even though the the solution would benefit everybody. <laughs> you know, like if you could get a solution yeah. to connect platform A to platform B, you know, it would benefit everybody who uses platform A and platform B. And yet, you know, it's left to each individual instance to try and solve the problem. Try, yeah. yeah, by yeah. themselves. And obviously, if if an if an individual organisation invests time and money in solving that problem, then well, then that I suppose that's their competitive advantage, and like they're unlo- un- unlikely just to share that with uh, everybody else, and you know, unless they're very altruistic in their in their approach. So, yeah, that's in my mind a bit of the problem. You know, it's, it's easy for the government to say, look, you should all sort this out as industry, you know, but uh, it's, it's hardly going to happen in in a way that benefits industry as a whole if if that if you leave it up to the individual stakeholders. I was just going to comment there that it it is quite an unfeasible process or, well, to my mind, it was quite unfeasible to the individual stakeholder um, because if they implement, well, firstly, you know, there's always on on plat or on project one, you could be using two different platforms and project two, you could be using two different platforms and so forth. So to implement a common process across your teams, ideally each integration and, you know, you just change the general process for sharing information. So you'd be in an ideal world, you'd be saying to your project teams, look, don't worry about manually sharing information. You do your approval workflow. The information will flow. 
to the client environment upon, a, on, upon approval, let's say, for example. So it is to implement in integrations that create common processes or common working process across your team for all platform variations. It's an extremely costly task. And the other thing is that the vendors don't see it as their, their responsibility. They're bringing to the table their APIs um, and they're saying, look, if you want to integrate with a competitor, um, our marketing message is we provide all all things to all people in one place. If that's not good enough for you, go and uh, create an integration with a competitor. Yeah, there's, there's a gap there, isn't there? I mean, I, I will say from <clears throat> we, we've been conducting a course over last year um, in Kia, we've been conducting a, a, a software application review um, starting with the core um, BIM tools um, to, to, to really look out in the marketplace and thoroughly and objectively evaluate functionality and, and all of these things. And some, it does seem like there's a little bit of a, a recognition and a change to, to, to vendors' approaches. And, and like you say, like many, many do, you know, fully open APIs or REST APIs or sound like I know what I'm talking about there, but I don't. Um, but, but they seem a lot more willing to, to work and, and integrate. But yeah, you're right, John, probably that actually doing the do between system A and system B, there's a gap of who does that and how. I mean, we're, what we're trying to do is, you know, we're, we're, we're pretty much arrived at a core suite of products. Um, and, and, of course, there's the benefit of integrating CD to field solution, massive benefit. You know, if we can pull drawings at the right time and, and models potentially without that, someone manually downloading and uploading again. <laughs> Um, and then having that available in, in you know, model viewer interrogator, what have you. Um, so we're, we're trying to push those integrations um, between, but obviously that's not a like for like. So, you know, we, we, we're never going to, our, our approach, we don't want to use two CDs. We want to use one CD solution you know, and then and connect that to one field solution. But I'd imagine even the vendors, and we, we do have a technology group in the alliance with some of the sort of the key players here, and those conversations are, happening because because i think everyone has to understand that we have to pass information from different systems no one's got the monopoly anymore albeit there is market market share isn't there but um but yeah more and more it's it's an open system that that needs to information to pass between it it's a little bit of a disconnect between the efforts that are happening in so you've got the technology group under the uk um framework is it or BIM alliance yeah BIM alliance. BIM alliance The the Building Smart UK chapter is part of that group. Of course, yeah, it's part um, of the, the UK yeah. Alliance. But Building Smart International have a group that are looking at open API for CD mm-hmm. exchange. And from my understanding from John is you know, that, that that work is pro- progressing very slowly and with very little sort of industry support. Um, right. You know, whereas you, know, you would think, particularly in the UK where there's a mandate and people drive from you know, all, all directions to, to, to kind of streamline this for industry that there, there would be a big push to get that work done as quickly as possible on behalf of the industry, not expecting each individual contractor, mm. particularly when you get to the, the mid and smaller contractors, you know, expecting each contractor to go and solve that, that problem by themselves because, well, they're not. Even if a big contractor like here can't okay. solve it, um, then it's very unlikely that a mid-contractor or small contractor has any chance of solving that problem. And, uh, I mean, there is on that. There's another group focused on interoperability. Um, that's now, again, it's a government. It's now called the Government Interoperability 
something group. Um, but again, pulling, pulling, and then some of the topics in there, of course, you can, you can go wider. That we're just talking about um, sort of a information container level now, aren't we? But again, that's you know trying to promote really work on some of the problems with open standards and impl- implementation and understanding of those. You know, talking IFC and Kobe and the like. Also looking at exactly like you've said, I think there's, there's some initiatives in there for for open interoperabilities between um, CDE solutions, um, so that there is there is work going on there. Like all these things, it probably doesn't happen as quickly as we'd like it to, but there is a recognition and a drive and an interoperability is a massive item and a strategic objective with, with the UK government at the moment that we're, we're hearing. So there's a clear, clear focus there, but yeah, quite, quite how long it will take us to get to something tangible as an outcome remains to be seen, I suppose. I mean, if you were a cynic, you might say there's certain people, certain companies that prefer that that problem doesn't get solved. You know, like there's, there's probably Absolutely. people that make a lot of money from the fact that things don't work so well. No, 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 that's that's the the whole problem, isn't it? The 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 old business model of come and play in my system and and no one else's, and you can yeah, it's breaking that. I'm not I'm not only pointing fingers at vendors. I mean, even in within industry, I think um, yeah. the business people can model make money out of solving problems. Cool. Yeah. Well, they can make money out of solving problems, but they have control over other people. If mm-hmm. you know, if you if you control the environment, you control the information, you yeah. control the outcome, basically. And and uh, there's definitely a part of the construction industry that makes money from waste. You know, yes. and I remember a couple of years, well, many years ago, actually, now when we were starting out, talking to one of the bigger practices, architectural practices in in, in Ireland, and the principal said. Why would we want to reduce the costs of our project? Our fee is connected to to, to the the cost of the projects. <laughs> and he was serious; he wasn't joking. You know, like because we were saying, "Well, the going to save you money; it's going to save you time." And um, so, yeah, my, yeah, my, my fee will be prorated down then if the project value is that much less. Yeah. yeah. Well, and you could say the same for contractors. Your your yeah. margin is on the overall value. Yeah. So if you reduce the contract value, you effectively reduce the margin. Unless you've agreed a maximum guaranteed price, yeah. and then you attempt to reduce the cost if there isn't going to be any remeasure. So that, you know, there's probably a lot of these things happening in the background that people don't realise, mm-hmm. you know, of, of business models and that are stumbling blocks. Yeah, or, and uh, or, again, uh, or real we, obstacles. We we could come on to the sort of new new forms of procurement and contracts there, couldn't we? That you know, always seen that as you know, th- we can't just get the change that, that we were hoping from 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 BIM and, and information management without the the you know the, the procurement and the contractual framework to support that that way of working and like the, the sort of shared pain and gain type of contracts and things like that. But then you know, it gives it gives a real encouragement to try and get the value and drive the efficiency and and and. And, and save, you know, make, make, make waste savings and, and the like. But mm. I mean, that's an interesting topic as well, because if you look at the PPC 2000 collaborative mm. contracts, I mean, that was produced 10 years ago or more, maybe it could be 15 years ago. And it, it, it was designed specifically to address all the problems that were highlighted, the Egan report, and the Latham mm. report, and, you know, to get a more collaborative framework. And yet, um, I believe, uh, a recent, well, it was about, it could have been two years ago now. We had, um, David Mosey over from King's College, London over in Ireland. He was saying that only 6% of contracts in the UK use the collaborative the, form of contract. Yeah. 
you know, so even though the contract has been there, it's been tested, it's been demonstrated, you know, the framework, particularly with some of the major local authorities, etc., uh, and yet the uptake of those types of contracts has been very it's low. It's relatively small, isn't it? Yeah, I, I wonder that as well. And, and like, for like the IPI and I, IBA kind of contracts, there's seems to be t- just many trials and talks of trials, but you never really see it, yeah, take effect, do you? I mean, I can say the PPC yeah. 2000, we, we, and we come across that quite a lot from a, a certain uh, client and framework and the feedback internally from some of our team's eyes is a really good form of contract. And we, we are seeing, you know, that's driving some of our, our bigger schemes and co- collaborative ways of working. And I think, I think we, we, as a contractor, we quite, yeah, we, we see the value in that, that, that form of contract. So, but yeah, we're quite why then it's not sticking and getting wider. I'm not sure. I suppose the, the choice of contract is made probably long before the delivery team get, get involved. So, the, I mean, the, the consultants, and I would, I would imagine, I'm, I'm not, I might be wrong, but I would imagine it's the consultants to the clients that are advising the clients of which contracts to use. And correctly or incorrectly, they, they're probably saying you, you can get more value if you use this type of contract type of contract or maybe there's just laziness because you know you you, know, you understand one type of contract and yeah to to learn another type of contract is just going to be more work and it's what you know even though it doesn't work <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it is amazing to me like even i mean the ppc 2000 has gone on and become the framework alliance contract you know and this this idea of putting out frameworks of work where you're not just doing one project at a time and mm. you know, continuously competing for one, but you, you're getting bundles of projects and you have a pipeline of work with, with certain larger agencies over time, which makes, brings about lots of economies of scale and efficiencies. Uh-huh. And yet people tend to persist well, in this. The, the norm. Yeah. Low, low cost adversarial. Well, I mean, I'd hope again that the construction playbook i hope that you know that's procurement focused isn't it and and you know again ho- hopefully that adds a little bit more weight and incentive to to to, to test some of these um well not just test but yeah implement some of these these more collaborative and, and modern modern contracts so coming to our topic of <laughs> innovation i mean innovation is about for me anyway is about trying to make things better i think everyone on this call we enjoy the and love the construction industry we we think it's important in what it does you know it's fantastic the industry does in terms of providing the infrastructure just about every aspect of life and yet there's so much of the way the industry works that's frustrating and you know really hard work and tedious and mundane and continuous firefighting and arguing and so so like there's no doubt well in my mind anyway but should, should, in anybody is willing to admit that there's room for improvement mm. in the way things work and so there's room for innovation where do you see in the coming you know in the short term in the next sort of one to five years, the biggest areas of improvement or innovation happening in, in the sector? Of that's a tough or, one. Or, um, or, or, what, or what would you hope for? Yeah. yeah that's what, what did you one. really like to see? <laughs> uh, what, I mean, I mean, li- what would make your job really nice? And, yeah. Uh, yeah. It'd probably be boring if it was too easy, to be fair. But um, no, I mean, at the end of the day, we, we are coming out of uh, – everyone's had a, a rough time, haven't they, over the last um, – year or so yeah we'd all love to see more budgets yeah more in the budget for innovation and, and testing and trialing things um at the moment i don't think there's 
across the board, there's probably as much investment into that that piece until we re- sort of rec- the economy recovers a bit more. But you could argue at the same time, this is really the time to it's the right time to take that a bit of a risk and 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 you know uh, and explore things and make yourself more efficient and competitive. So. Um, um, I mean, I, I, I never consider myself, you know, an innovator. I, I think I like, I like to be at the, at the sort of the leading edge and, and trying to practically implement, you know, things that have, the innovators have explored and, and, and started to attack. So I'm not really someone who, who, who looks really a, a lot forward. And, and I, I'd always hope to see us keep returning to the, the basics to get those right, to, 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 you know, just chip away at those tiny margins of efficiency and get widespread benefits slowly building i'm the wrong person probably to talk about real real looking forward innovation but yeah get the get this this just continue to make sure we can walk before we can run is my my it would be nice hope. wouldn't it if if contracts included a, a percentage of the contract for r&d and innovation because in, in i know in public projects in ireland a few years ago like they would have this scheme called 10% for art, yeah, you know, because basically art, sculptures and mm-hmm. various creativity were, yeah. were always the first thing to be stripped from the project. <laughs> and so, yeah, they made it mandatory on projects to have a percentage of the of the budget dedicated to art to make beautiful places. And yeah, so imagine if uh, contracts included a 10% for R&D and innovation and wow. you, like you, you you couldn't spend that on anything else but but but, but that in, and it yeah and it had to be innovative spent. solutions and research and development and then the research and development obviously be shared back to the clients that they could then continuous improvement know, and and well they and could like, share that with future teams so mm. so one company could do some innovation and that innovation it doesn't stay within in the company because that I really think Innovation is occurring in the industry. I mean, the in- industry is doing fantastic things at a project level, but that innovation never expands to the broader industry. And sometimes it doesn't even expand to the broader company. I mean, mm. you, you, you probably find that in Kia that <laughs> there's, there's certain groups that are doing fantastic things on projects, but the learning from that doesn't even get to the next team, a different Absolutely. team within, within your own organization, let, let alone the greater industry. So the industry is innovative in what it does, but the innovation doesn't always get repeated and grow legs and, yeah. and get widespread. Yeah, yeah and I say, and, and you hit the nail on the head saying like looking internally as well. And we have, we, we see that and, and, and it's really important that we have those sort of, you know, peaks of uh, certain projects. Yeah, do fantastic things, but to try and then get that scalable across the business and, and especially when you're, you know, you could be, you could be delivering a, a, a low value quick turnaround project or it could be a five year, you know, mega infrastructure project to try and to, yeah, make, make some of those learnings scalable and understandable across the business and, and, and roll out the, the, the proportional benefits and ways of working is really tricky. But, uh, and that's, that's the bit that excites me actually. Um, that, mm. you know, trying to get that wider spread benefit. That's, that's my, that's why I get up in the morning, I think. But love to see the the, the fantastic, innov- innovative peaks as well. But yeah, trying trying to scale it. That's the challenge. So you are an innovator then. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> so John, any uh, we're coming up to the hour. Any further questions from your side? No further questions from my side. Just like to thank Andy um, for taking the time. Um, on behalf of myself, Ralph, and the AC Hive community as well. Um, yeah, everything that you've spoken about here today will be well received. Um, and 
yeah, it would help. I think it's going to really help your end goal of scaling and getting that wider spread adoption. So, yeah, good luck in in your future works with UK BIM Alliance and Kier and um, maybe we can help you out someday with the automated workflows between your CD solutions. Absolutely. So, yeah, thank you. No, I think thanks both of you. Really, really enjoyed it. We'll probably talk all day. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and also from my side, Andy, I'd just really like to thank you for your time. Really appreciate it. I definitely think the community appreciates people like yourself share, willing to share and, you know, cause everybody's, I think, looking for ways to improve things. So we, we appreciate that. I just remind you and also other people listening about our AEC Hive platform that you can go and sort of share information, create posts of things that your business is doing so that other people can see that, discuss it, print on it, etc. And also one thing that I've been using it for is that, like we aggregate all of the content, um, particularly podcasts at this moment into one platform. I've found it a hugely valuable resource to listen to, listen and explore the world's podcasts of people like us talking about really important topics. So if you do have half an hour, that's my go-to place. So yeah, I'd probably invite, invite users or listeners to uh, discover there as well. So thanks both of you for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll definitely be talking more in the future. Definitely. It's a pleasure to be involved. Thanks, guys. Really good.